Fable, pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we are now on parenting again. So our goal over the next couple of episodes is to give a broad skeletal outline for parents to think about raising their children that both acknowledge and celebrates gender differences. Now, why, why are we doing that? Well, unless you've been under a rock, um, you are witnessing over the last 50 years a wholesale attack upon the similarities and differences between the male and female. And over the last few years, it has really, really intensified. In fact, I just read an article yesterday um, where one of the biggest psychological, psychiatric counseling challenges that are coming up are people who have regretted transgender uh, change seeking right. to change genders um, and they're talking about a guy who literally was uh, castrated he, he and and then he had breast augmentation I mean this is just weird that we're talking like that but how it put him into a depression because all of a sudden he realized I don't want this <laughs> and it's like yeah well you you did it yeah, and and they're just he, he's in deep depression and suicidal, which is a massive problem with with people within that movement. There, they think it's going to solve their problem, but it's not. There's a there's a spiritual problem at at work. Well, there. yeah, and the the challenge that we're facing is, I mean, historically, in the I believe in the DSM, the um, gender dysphoria and all that's considered a mental health issue. Yeah, I mean, we'd call it you know just the effects of sin and all that stuff, but. Um, it, it's a mental health issue and it's it's being celebrated and pushed before us by media and these kinds of things. And it's like, how did that switch happen? Yeah. And now you're seeing all the effects of it. And I mean, kindergarten children are now being given books to to uh, be read to that are doing this. And you see that one from Not the Bee um, where it was a white lady mother and she talked about she had her son and she said, as you can tell, he's a white male and therefore, he's going to have problems. And so here's all the things that we're doing. Here's the books we've chosen to read to him. And uh, and because we're a feminist household, we want him to learn that. And so it's this whole mm -hmm. indoctrination, and she's celebrating. It's just sad. It's like you look at a little guy, and you're like, dude, you don't even have a hope. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so it's that's what's going on, and it's destroying biblically derived standards about humans and genders. And so it's not a vague idea about some people who are somewhere over there, uh, but it's actually in every public space today, our public schools actively now and openly teach various perversions to gender and have, uh, and laws are now actually being passed right and left. And so it's a very serious issue. So if you want to get rocked a bit, Go ask one of your older children how many people they personally know of who practice a bisexual, homosexual, or transgender lifestyle. And then after you hear their answer, go somewhere and just sit and give it a long, serious thought because you, you're, you're going to be shocked at how many people 
they know. In fact, we talked, I, I think I mentioned to you, I went to a, a one girl's, she had an art display at her school. And I thought, ah, I'll go look at it and um, just to be a presence. And we went to the school. It was funny because Kim and I walked into the cafeteria and it took us immediately, both of us, back to our high school days. It, it smelled the same. It sounded the same. It was like, whoa, that's a little weird. But it wasn't the same because when we went over to the art section where they were showing the displays, I had several people approach me uh, who were actively, openly expressing gay, the, a gay personality, and they were making comments to me, openly sexual comments. It was, it was very disturbing. And these people were just common at a high school gathering. And I'm like, wow, 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 wow. It was so on one level, it was like going back in time. In another way, it wasn't remotely like going back in time. It, it was very disturbing to us. Uh, now, we know from the scripture that there is nothing new under the sun. We forget that, but we know it. And this certainly includes sexual confusion and perversion and gender rebellion. So our goal today is not to speak against those specific things, actually. Merely, rather, it's merely to use these as examples as a foundation of a need to seriously think about what it means to raise sons and daughters as Christians and as those who are conforming themselves to the age to come rather than in this fallen age. Yeah, so let's give us just some key introductory points here. Um, first of all, um, despite all the heteronormative language yeah. uh, these days in conversation, we would just submit to you that male and female is not the result of evolution, nor is it a societal construct. <laughs> Amen. Um, they, they exist specifically because of God's determination. And we would say right here, if you can't accept that, then this is not the podcast for you, um, because... You, you're establishing, you know, the whole of what you understand truth to be in a different authority. Yep. Um, and so we're going to use the scriptures. So Genesis one twenty seven says, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there's the binary. Note how man, though, is used to speak of humanity, and then humanity is defined in only two categories, male and female. So only these two categories are legitimate, and all others, we would say, simply reflect the reality of what the Bible declares about humanity today. It is plain and simple rebellion of the creature against its creator. Yeah. Second, both are equal in their personhood. So let us affirm that, uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So both male and female are created in the image of God, which means that they are infinitely unique among all of the rest of creation and are infinitely valuable, and we would say more valuable, than the rest of creation and yes. therefore to be honored. So Wayne Grudem uh, writes this. He says, every time that we talk to each other as men and women, we should remember that the person we are talking to is more like God than anything else in the universe and that men and women share the status equally. Therefore, we should treat men and women with equal dignity, knowing that men and women have equal value to God. Good one. So th though those two points are true, 
Um, we would also say that that does not mean with regard to roles and responsibilities that there is no difference between those two sexes. Uh, they are designed, in fact, to complement one another. So a wise parent will work hard at understanding and embracing his or her role in calling before God. So the first step of effectively raising young men and women is by modeling for them what each gender looks like. The second step is to then consider how the principles and commands of Scripture work out within the household and in the individual makeup of the children. So parents must teach their sons to honor the female simply because they are females, and so sons should never mock or criticize a woman for acting like a female. Um, and the same is true for daughters. Uh, don't demand that the boys and men respond like a woman. Yeah. In fact, that's one of the weird things, but that's what happens in a home. Um, you know, you have a, like we had three girls and one boy, and sometimes they would get frustrated with Maddie uh, simply because he was acting like a boy. <laughs> and I'm like, I will not rebuke him for that. Sorry, he's a boy. And um, But I also was very intoler intolerant to Matt if he wanted to mock the girls because they were acting like girls. It's like, no, that's how they are made by God. And your job is to protect that and guard that and honor that. But guys, uh, uh, the girls, don't try to make him a sister. He's not a sister. He's a boy. And you need to understand that. And so as he got older and he started to push, what he was really doing was maybe not always in the right way. In fact, a lot of times not the right way. But he was exercising something built deep within the core of his being of that desire to lead, to to guard, to, you know, so like I think I told the story once before where we were trying to go to church and I was heading to the front door and Matt says, I got the door, I got the door. And he knocks over his sisters brushing <laughs> to get the door to open it. <laughs> They're now mad. And he, and, and I'm, I laughed and I just said, Maddie. <laughs> It's good that you wanted to open the door for your sisters. That's that's right. But you don't knock them over in the <laughs> you, Come on. That's an awesome story. And, and, you know, he gives that that typical 10-year-old boy, what, what? <laughs> but it was actually kind of sweet. Yeah. And, and having to then calm down the girls because, hey, thank him for at least wanting to open the door. We'll work on the process of how he does that. But it was actually very, very sweet. <laughs> so let, with that in mind, then, let's talk about raising sons. First, uh, I personally have a series I preached that's called Boys to Men. Now, I don't normally commend my sermons here, but I do think it would help you in so many ways on the task of raising up biblical men. Uh, and so we're going to try to remember to provide a link up to them if you're interested. So look in the show notes. I know we're not providing our uh, script anymore to you, but in the show notes, you should be able to find the link to that series. It's actually worth your time. Then second, if you do have boys in your family, go and buy and then read and then reread a book by Douglas Wilson called Future Men. In fact, keep rereading it until his points that he makes are part of your actual thinking and acting. So here's, here's how it works out. If somebody in my church comes to me about their son and how, how to train him, I, I will simply make the person read Doug Wilson's book first. So do yourself a favor and go buy it. Um, I, In fact, I would insist that you go through the Boys to Men series as well. I, I would just tell that person in our church, look, listen to that sermon series, read that book, and if you still have questions, then we can talk. All we're doing today is really just giving some broad points. 
what I want to teach, uh, what I teach in those sermons is what I put into practice into my own home. And so it's a very practical. It's what you'll hear in that sermon series is actually what I did with my own son. And I would argue that they are very tried and tested methods. Now, out uh, with, with that out of the way, let's start off with some principles. First of all, you need to understand that your son is designed to become a lord or master. God made man to have dominion over the earth and all that it contains. That's explicitly taught in Genesis one twenty six and following. It's reiterated after the flood when God states in nine two that all creatures are under your authority. Therefore, and he said that to Noah, therefore, this is what you are responsible to raise, to give, uh, to give that young boy the opportunity to learn to rule and to learn to have dominion in his own little part of creation. So this will start in places like his room or the basement, and soon it will be the backyard and the streams and the forest or the alleys, the back roads. So a wise parent seeks to direct this basic makeup that God has given the bo- to the boy. And, and you're, you're actually cooperating with God now rather than resisting his ways. So you should not become exasperated because the cushions of the couch somehow became a fort. Now, you may need to redirect that desire to bring dominion uh, in a, an, into something else, but don't be exasperated that your son did it because that's in him to do. Uh, something my mother actually did without ever realizing it was to give me a little patch of ground that was mine in the backyard. And I, I think it was like two feet uh, wide and six feet long. The, and he, but she said, you can do whatever I want. And so the first thing I did was dig a great big deep hole and I turned it into my fort. And that was so fun. But later on, that became boring. And so I filled it back in. And I thought I might try to plant a garden. No, no idea what I was doing. But my mom gave me seeds for radishes and carrots. No idea what I was doing with them. But I really didn't care. In fact, I carefully cultivated it. I learned about thinning out the plants. I cheerfully pulled the weeds. And I was very gleeful when uh, the produce came and I was able to eat it. So somehow two vegetables that I normally did not like became very tasty to me because I grew them. They were mine. And, and it was very, very special. So give your son responsibility early on. Let him explore and plan As he gets older, give him things that he must work through with your help so that he learns about decisions and also owning the consequences to those decisions. Accept that mistakes are going to be made and be calm about it. Don't freak out. Plan for those mistakes and you will create a very safe place for him to learn how to lead and oversee. And when you see him delighting in things, in abusing things, you want to address that extremely quickly. Whether it be a creature or a person, you address any kind of abusiveness quickly because that's an expression of the sin that's in them. So you frame it, though, in terms of what is proper and what what does a good man supposed to do? How, How is a good man acting? God made him actually to care for this creation, not to destroy it or to abuse it or to exploit it. So go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think I said it on when we tried to record this the first time before I lost it. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, you didn't practice dominion. Yeah, over that's the, right. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think I gave the illustration that I think it was just a day or two prior. 
uh, we were in the driveway playing. Oh yeah. And uh, there's an anthill <laughs> and, and Levi walks over to it and he just starts smashing it up and stomping on the ants and all those kinds of things that every boy or child does. I always burned them with my magnifying glass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> at one level, it's just an ant, right? Um, but at another level, I, I, I stopped him and corrected him on that. And I said, look, at those ants aren't yours. Uh, those are God's ants. He created them. And your responsibility is to care for them, not just kill them because that brings you pleasure. Um, so you're, you're exercising dominion, not sinful domination, where you're just destroying things because it brings you pleasure. Um, so it's just a small way that I'm trying to instill in him of, of that caring, that, that shepherding yep. or pastoring yeah. of God's creation. But at the same time, let's say those ants now invade the house. Imminent domain. Yeah, at that point you say, no, now we have to take <laughs> care of them. You're cultivating those, yeah. They don't belong here. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're going to remove them, kill them. We're right. going to make them go away. They don't belong here. We won't allow that. But when they're out there in the creation and stuff, yeah, yeah, we leave them alone. They're doing the work God made them to do. All right, good one. So, so to be a leader means you have to learn to make decisions. So as your son grows, give him opportunities to make decisions. Walk him through the why of his decision. Provoke him to think about it. Don't wait until they're 17 and all of a sudden they have to start making decisions. You start that very, very early. And, and so what I would say is attack. And I actually mean this. You want to attack passiveness in your boy, which means you can't be the one always making decisions and then telling your boy to be quiet. You have to involve him in those things. Uh, in fact, Doug Wilson says it well. He says, a man who waits around for someone to decide uh, someone else to decide is abdicating his assigned role. That's really good. Mm -hmm. um, this also means that you cannot accept excuses from your boy. A Christian man accepts responsibility, and that is the end of it. Uh, excuses flow from pride and laziness, and neither must be allowed to ever take root in your boy's heart. And that means that you have to start very, very early. Yeah. Another one is there to be a caretaker and cultivator. Uh, and this one is built into that cultural mandate, as it's often referred to in Genesis one twenty-eight. again in chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, we need men who look at this world and see that it was made for them to care for it, uh, that they are to take what is unruly and out of control and now bring it into submission. Um, this means that we must walk, uh, teach our sons patience uh, and also to have eyes of faith. They must not merely see the seed go into the ground, but rather they must live in anticipation of the harvest that's to come uh, and order their lives around that hope. So when you see impatience, uh, you see something as a parent that you must bring under submission into your in your son. Um, and that is harder than you may think because we live in an instant society right now and we want what we want when we want it. Uh, so we would just say start that early. Um, and what's funny though, is how many parents really teach their children to be passive and teach them to be impatient, two horrible, horrible qualities, but you want yeah. your lawn to look nice. So you don't let your son touch a lawnmower and then you give your son whatever he wants because you want him to be happy and he never needs, learns that that vital quality of just waiting. Yeah. Uh, well, and you see that right away in Genesis one with what the Holy Spirit is doing, right? Yeah. He is, there's a, the tohu bohu. Right. Uh, 
for, void and it, just chaos, formlessness and void. Um, and the spirits, they're hovering over the waters, uh, waiting patiently for the word to come. Um, so he wasn't being passive. He's there ready and waiting, but he was also showing patience because he would not act until right. the word comes. Um, and so you see in your children then them acting out that image of God even in them, but you need to teach them and cultivate that within them, especially it's, sons. It's even worth thinking about the fact that he took six days to create. He yeah. didn't need any day, <laughs> right? I mean, he, he, days didn't even exist. He could have just said, let it be, yeah. and it was. But he even brought it through a process. I think there's even value in contemplating that. And what's that look like then as I teach my son that there's a, a proper order to things, and, and you do this first, and then you wait until it's time. Like right. I really like how you said, the spirit is there hovering, but he's waiting for the word. That's a, that, that preach, bro. Yeah. Well, well when, when you, you got, got it, it, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. so yeah. So we'd also say that you have to expect him to be a hard worker. Um, so and do not shrink from that duty. Your your son should be working alongside of his father as he grows, and he should be given jobs uh, of his own. And we would say that you do him a huge disservice when you allow him to just sit and play while you do the work. You're, you're teaching him that yeah. work is always somebody else's job, yeah. not his. So we would, I mean, we stand bemused sometimes when we watch fathers, for example, who will mow their lawns while their son just sits there and plays. Um, they, they use so many excuses, but all they're doing is teaching them to be lazy. Um, you see a woman carrying something, send your son there to take her burden. Uh, if it's too large, then you offer to do it and, and help your boy, um, but make certain that he carries something that he's able. Um, every time and all the time, train him to have eyes to see those things. He's to be looking beyond himself to things that need to be done. I, I overstep maybe at times. I try not to, but at church, I'll see families coming to church, and their boy is usually in the front, and he's charging up the door, but he opens the door, walks in, and the door <laughs> shuts. And if I see it, I actually will give my pastor glare and say, go back there and hold your door, the door open for your mom. And what, and they give you that look, but it's like, no, 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 you don't shut the door on your mom. Your goal is not to get in the church building. Your, your goal is to show honor, respect, and care for your mom. So you sit there. I don't care if it's raining. You hold the door open and let mom come in. You're the last I, last one to come in, that kind of an idea. Mm, yeah. Uh, so the next thing there to be is that they are to be raised as defenders and saviors. Which is offensive language now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first Adam failed here, and he failed miserably, and so sin entered into the world. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, came and he conquered sin and is redeeming his creation. And so sons are to model that in a smaller way. This is why Paul then says to love your wife as a Christian is to look like Jesus laying down his life for his bride. Uh, a godly man is laying his life down for the well-being of his wife. Uh, praise your son, therefore, when he stands in the gap and he protects and defends the powerless and the weak. Even when it's not done perfectly, make sure that that boy gets praised when he stands up, when he sees wrong happening. So, so you teach him to face fear. It's okay to be afraid mm -hmm. and be comfortable to do his duty in the midst of his fear. It's okay to be afraid, but you still have to act. Um, you can't retreat. Which is the definition of courage. Yeah. In the face of fear, you still do what's right. Yeah, that it's, it's huge. Anyone can retreat, but a, a man will stand fast. 
uh, for the sake of right. Uh, from the earliest of days, teach him that a woman is a treasure who is to be protected and defended. Teach him then to despise, literally despise, exploiting those who are weaker. If that means he has to fight, then by golly, let him fight. And if he loses, then you go and teach him how to fight better. Never, ever rebuke him for standing up for what is right. I don't care how much trouble it brings you. You praise your son if he stands up for what is right. At the same time, help them learn that the vast majority of times the need to defend and save will actually come in the way of words rather than fists. So you're not wanting to create a guy who's a violent man. You're wanting one who can hopefully solve things through his speech. But if he has to use his fists, he has to use his fists. So that means he must learn to speak and to think well. So this is why I don't ever like it when I see young men mumbling or slouching or have bad speech patterns. You have to correct those. Make them learn to speak in a public setting. So they're expected to talk in Sunday school classes, community groups, or just when company is invited over to the house. Uh, your son may never become a public speaker, but he should never be afraid to speak publicly. So teach him to develop convictions that are sound and biblical, and then go defend them. Never praise or excuse him, therefore, for giving in to peer pressure. Even if his uh, nature is to follow, your job is to train him to follow the right people. Jesus Christ, you, the parent, his boss, and, and, and such. Always teach them that the right people to follow are the only ones he, he follows. Teach them also to protect their mom and their sisters. Never shall they exploit their strength over a woman, or they face the wrath of another man, their father. I hope, I hope the men will hear this. You ever see your son inappropriately deal with mom or the sisters, the next angry face he deals with <laughs> should be you, and you should be in his face so fast so that he quickly finds out that that was a really, really bad decision. And, but you don't just yell at him. You instruct him that this is wrong. Your job is to care for them, not be mean to them. So you give them the responsibility to do things like walk their mom or sisters to their cars. That's what my son did. We live in a bad neighborhood. So he, he was the youngest, but he would walk the sisters out every day to go to work. And he'd wait until they got in the car and he came back. But it was, a, it was I, I was doing that on purpose. That was his job. You're the man. Go take care of your sisters. Uh, if their sister is scared, they should be encouraged to comfort the sister rather than tease them, even though that's very tempting. Uh, <laughs> as they grow older, teach them well Proverbs chapter 5 and sexual temptation and, and, and to guard themselves. They're to be young men who protect the purity of women. This is a huge task today where sex is thrust into the faces of your sons and daughter at an alarming pace. The most common issue we actually deal with is the influence of pornography and the sexual deviancy that comes with that. So help them defend their sisters by giving them good counsel on how they conduct themselves in dress and actions around other boys. Meaning, what, what I mean by that is when you see a sister dressing inappropriately, the, the son should speak up. And I mean, parents hopefully have already dealt with it. But if they do, they should talk to them. If they see their their sisters acting in a way that's tempting a young man to be inappropriate, uh, whether they're aware of it or not, um, 
the boy, the son, needs to come alongside his sister and say, you, you need to stop that. You don't know what you're doing, but that's not helping. Um, stop doing that. So have them speak honestly to their sisters and to watch uh, them from uh, or warn them away from boys who are fools and thieves of women and their purity because there are all kinds of guys out there and they're so good at making the girl laugh and, and feel special, but the boy knows what he's like. He's like, no, that guy's a wolf. You stay away from him. And that son should be telling mom and dad, hey, just so you know, that's that's just defending. Protecting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next, they are to be thinkers and they are to be wise. So never, here's how you do it. Never have your son think that the work of intellectuals is somehow less manly. Uh, help your son to push his mind and develop it to the fullest that it can be. So praise curiosity and then fan that into flame. Uh, it can be really annoying early on because all they do is ask why. Yeah, why? Uh, why? why? Oh. <laughs> um, but, but show him... Uh, show him fools and the cost of being a fool and then teach him wisdom from the earliest of years. Uh, this means that you never allow for him to take the quick way out regarding studying and learning. Teach him what it looks like to sit until a task is done and done well. Make your children read. Um, literally make him. Uh, if, if that means taking away all other distractions until he's learned the glory of good books, then that's what you got to do. But also provide him then with good books. Um, some will naturally love reading. Uh, others have to be trained to be a reader and see the value of reading. Um, that may mean that you have to learn to love it first uh, and as well. So, so read to your children. Keep reading to them for years. Read in front of them. Be an example. Um, when they're li little, uh, give them many books to play with. Um, so Lydia, my wife learned this from somebody. Um, you got to instill a love and respect in your children uh, early on for books. Sometimes that means just giving them a bunch of cheap books that you know they're just going to tear up. Yeah, it, Let them play with them, touch them. Yeah. Um, and then you discipline them for disrespecting the book, but let them have the books. Um, you know, but the idea is that they should have physical books and, and learn to love them. Um, they, they should be a tremendously high place in their mind for books and for reading. If you were to go into our kids' rooms, the dominant item that you're going to see on their beds, on the shelves, usually under their beds <laughs> and everywhere else are just books. Uh, they're everywhere. We want them to be surrounded by them because we want them to love them. Yeah. Um, something like, I, I, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but like most adults are not reading anymore. Uh, most adults do not have not read a whole book uh, in the last few years, and so in fact, our listeners can Which ask themselves, sad. "Yeah, it's horrible." Yeah. And so, they their children are growing up in a world where it's always in front of a a, a phone, an iPad, a TV screen, and not a book. And they should see mom and dad read. and And I think of Jake, uh, a guy in our church. He has three daughters and a son. I didn't realize this, but he reads to each one of them every night. I, when I heard him tell me that, I'm like, oh, that's great. Actually, he reads a, a book to one child and then a different book to the other child. He reads with one child alone. So he has to read four times a night. <laughs> And he, he says, Pastor, sometimes it's 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 hard, uh, you know. Time, I'm busy, and but he does it, and I was I couldn't praise him enough. It's like that's impressive, you know, because his kids are not little ones; they're all able to read on their own. But he would read to them. Um, boy, 
What he's an excellent re- model. Yeah, he will reap benefits of that in the years to come. Yeah. Now, why? Um, well, this is so obvious, but it's often missed. But God has given us his revelation in a book, right? So, therefore, learning to read and read well, that can't be something that is just a mere option for a Christian home. Um, so, teach your children to read out loud. We'd also say teach them to read with good inflection. Uh, you know, don't let them mumble through it or do it passively. Uh, read well. Um, sound theology is a must. Um, so, so start, start it when the boy is three. Um, when his mouth speaks folly and bad doctrine, you're to correct him and instruct him in that. Um, and it should be word-based. So if, if you don't know the word well enough, then you should have a lot of, I mean, you got a lot of repenting to do yourself. Um, By the way, you don't lecture them. A three-year-old says something <laughs> dumb, correct it, but you don't have to then go on and on where they then just learn to tune out dad. Right. But, but yeah, your point is well made. Yeah. So th- this is what single men should be doing uh, in their free time storing up knowledge so that they're ready to teach their sons and daughters as he learns to read, give him sound books on doctrine, along with books of intrigue, venture, battles, those kinds of things. Uh, an excellent one would be Pilgrim's Progress. Um, that's a great one to give him and have him read that one repeatedly. Uh, also, we would say, just to start with, any book by uh, N.D. Wilson, um, which is Doug Wilson's son, uh, that's not going to let anybody down. That guy is a gifted writer. I, I've read all of his books. I think I think I'm on my third time through all of his books, and I I still enjoy him as much as the first time. Yeah. He's he's a really good writer. <laughs> yeah, he, he sure is. Um, give him a strong worldview as well. That's ap- unapologetically Christian. So talk to him about what is going on around him and in the world of politics. Um, teach him to be slow to speak. That's a skill and a discipline that is. Uh, rare these days. A wise man becomes wise by listening and attending his heart to those who are wise. Uh, that, that source of wisdom is to be you, his, his parents. So Proverbs 29, 20 uh, says, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 21, 23, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Proverbs 17, 4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. You know, it's interesting. I have our grandchildren. I have two who are eight, a boy and a girl. And it's interesting that now at eight, they go off and play, but then they kind of wander back in where the adults are talking. And they, they're they at that weird place where they want to be around the bigger people and also they're around the kids. When, when you see the younger one like that come in among the adults, welcome them. Let them be there because they're absorbing how adults talk and they're, they're hearing you share ideas and convictions. At the same time, help be willing to listen to them when they interject or they ask why, except the fact that sometimes it will be stupid <laughs> or really stupid because they're eight. Uh, but also don't let them dominate it. Have them understand that this is a time for you to listen and observe. And, and so they're welcome there, but, but let them absorb that. And they'll get bored at some point, go play with the kids again, and then they'll start wandering back. But that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing you want to do is teach them holiness. In other words, tolerating sin will only bring more sin. This is true with a pouting three-year-old and even more true with an angry 15-year-old. Hidden sin is a deplorable condition that ultimately leads to the downfall of even the mighty. 
Given time, the seed of that hidden sin will bring about sins that even the young man never thought he would commit. When you find your son with hidden sins, you show him how to leave them behind. Help him. Confession to his heavenly Father who is who forgives sin. Confession and restitution to the agreed party. And consequences that fit the crime. Also, continuing to direct him to common means of grace, such as worship, study, prayer, and obedience. This means that you must faithfully teach him what is right and pleasing before God. Do not think that he's going to somehow learn this on his own, and most certainly our culture is not going to do it. So don't let the culture be his primary guide. So Proverbs twelve fifteen, that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Now your son will assume he's right most of the time, and you teach him otherwise. Your task is to early on gain his ear and then diligently keep that ear, especially when he enters into his teen years and he starts to move outside of the home. The the son, in other words, who does not attend to the wisdom of his father is a son you've lost. So enter that battle with your eyes wide open. Another thing uh, that you'll want to do is teach your son to own his actions and not to be a man of empty words. Um, And this is an issue of trustworthiness and faithfulness. So Proverbs 20 verse 11 says, it is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself if his conduct is pure and right. So stop listening to the words all by themselves. Um, Rather, judge them in light of his actions. Uh, In other words, teach him to be a man of his word. Um, Proverbs 10.26 talks about an unfaithful son who brings you misery. Uh, Proverbs 19.19 says, A man of great anger will bear the penalty, for if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. So you do well to teach him that there are consequences especially to foolish things that are said in anger. Um, if you save them, him from those consequences, um, the point of the Proverbs is, is that you only show yourself to be a fool. Yeah. Um, raise him to hope in God. Um, he is going to sin uh, because he is a sinner, but a wise parent points him to the sufficiency of God. Uh, the call is to put his hope in Christ alone for forgiveness and life. So as your son fails, and he will, Help, uh, help teach him that he can change and train um, him early in how to do this. Uh, character can be changed. We, we see this from Proverbs 8, 32 through 36. Um, so this one says, Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. This is talking about um, wisdom personified. Right, right. Uh, heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorsteps. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself, and all those who hate me love death. So what is the requirement, first of all, for changing character? Uh, Here we see it in verses 32 through 33. It's to listen, to keep, and then do not neglect or refuse. Again, talking about wisdom. Um, in 34 through 35, we see the reward then for changed character. And here it's a, a blessing or a happier and enviable kind of life. Um, and then in 36, you see the result of an unchanged character, which is here described as self-harm and then even death. So replace ungodly character in your life with godly character. Um, is that put off, put on. Second Peter 
chapter 1, 5 through 8 says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. So there's that progression. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so let, let's kind of close this out with some quick tidbits. Uh, a mother who does not know what it's uh, uh, no, a mother does not know what it is like to be disciplined by a man. And so she must be very careful to be diligent with it, but not to assume that she somehow thinks it's going to be uh, that what's going on in the boy is the same thing that's going on in her mind. Uh, he's going to react to that discipline from his mother. A wise father is the primary discipliner of his sons because he knows what's going on in their minds. Uh, too often, fathers abdicate this and just expects the wife to do all of that. Um, he's too busy mowing the lawn or whatever. It, you can't do it. You know what's going on in your son's mind because you're a man. Your wife does not understand him, um, and that is simply a reality. The challenge, therefore, many father, before many fathers is that they're tasked with raising godly men, but they themselves are not godly. So repentance first starts immediately with the father. So as you listen to your boy talk about life, learn to listen. Listen carefully for how much of it, of it is him talking about what he will expect from others rather than what he must first demand of himself. And then confront him on it. Let boys also test their strength. A bloody nose is not sin, and a broken arm often brings many lessons with it. The strength of a young man is part of their glory as image bearers of God. You have not done a good thing by keeping your son from entering adulthood without some scars. Train and raise them to leave the home, and then encourage them to leave it quickly. You are, again, not helping a son who is now a man but still lives in his father's house. All you're doing is delaying his owning of his manhood. And then also money. He makes it, but it's not for his pleasure. It is to prepare for the future, to provide for his future wife and children. So you teach him to manage from early on, raise him to be generous with what God gives him. In fact, when we practice courtship, and so— with many young men that came to inquire about their daughters, I would ask them what their debt load was. And I had one guy, who I, he, he was only like 20, and he had thirty or 40000 in debt already. And I told him, you get rid of the debt and then come back and talk to me about my daughter. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. My daughter actually had that much money or thereabouts saved. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not giving you my daughter so you can take care of your debt. <laughs> uh, and ain't going to happen. But, but how many parents literally do not teach their sons to save? So then they enter into college and they have to take out massive loans and they're always wearing the latest clothes and they want the cool car and everything else. And they're not recognizing that money doesn't exist for their pleasure. Huge thing. We'll talk about that on other yeah. topics. So. So we hope this is helpful. A lot of stuff for you to think about. And you can see that raising sons is a hard thing to do, especially now here in America. But it's what's needed. 
If our Lord does not come soon, then we desperately need men who can stand tall amid the rubble of a society that is literally destroying itself from within. Men who can chart a way forward and then lead by example. And so it's going to take wise men and strong men and skilled men. Gone are the days of weak boys who do weak things. Well, next week, we hope to talk about daughters and how to raise them. So until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We would love to hear your thoughts on Parenting Boys, but don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend. Mm -hmm.